Hello, friends, and welcome back. It is still called the Who Is John Harris podcast. Still going to roll with that for a little while. I have some ideas, and we're probably going to switch it. But for right now, until I solidify this new approach, we're just going to go with the Who Is John Harris branding. Today we're talking about some personal stories that relate to why I think fitness, strength and conditioning, health and wellness, why I think these things are way more important than some of the surface level aspects that a lot of people get into that realm, but maybe don't quite consider in the long run. So we'll start off with a little story time, story time with Johnny, if you will. So... I've been in different phases, stages, and levels of life for a while. I'm 37 years old, but I, sometimes I feel like I'm 90 years old because adult life started very early for me. I became a dad very early. Um, my girlfriend got pregnant. I was the age of 16 at the time. I was barely 17 when Isaac, my oldest, was born. Um, but most of my childhood, I was a very small, skinny, scrawny guy. And if there are any other hard gainers, so to speak, out there, um, I know your pain and I know your struggle. And it just takes a long time and very, very consistent effort to change who you are, not just physically, but mentally. And that's kind of the stuff I wanted to touch on, which is why... I became so infatuated and fascinated with this personal growth process because I saw it within myself. And sometimes I think, especially our younger folks, like high school age kids, even college age, they've never really been able to notice drastic changes in their own personal life. Everybody's life is going to be different. Everybody's upbringing is going to be different. Everybody's idea of who they are and what they have to contribute or what they don't have, all these things, unless you're actively aware of thinking about these things in your own life, sometimes when we experience them in a happenstance way or circumstantial way where you say, if I was in this situation two years ago, I would have handled it this way, but now I do not feel inclined to handle it this way. This is interesting. Why am I looking at this scenario so much different than I usually would? And some of that's weird to disseminate as a younger person, but as you get older, sometimes we have these life experiences that can change how we look at things. And Whatever version you are now is kind of your operating system, your OS, if you will, on how you will encounter problems and situations and overcome or not overcome. So as a child, me personally, I can only speak to what I remember and how I remember feeling it. Conditions may vary, but when I was a kid, I was always super skinny kid, glasses, horrendous haircut some sort of in-between bowl cut mullet rat tail thing going on. If you were to see baby pictures or even, you know, younger kid pictures, even high school pictures, I'm kind of unrecognizable. I can't remember. It was probably a few years ago that I met um, this person 
through meeting another person. And they just said, oh, where'd you go to high school? It's like, I went to Gallatin High School. What year did you graduate? 2004. I graduated 2004. And I said, interesting. Yeah, I remember you. And then this person was talking to me and they said, I have no idea. I do not remember you at all. And I said, probably because I'm a very different person now, not just physically, but, you know, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, all these things. And all these things have a pretty hardline connection with, I think anyway, with some sort of fitness regimen, whether that be, you know, weightlifting or, you know, running, losing weight, gaining weight, all these things are tied to how we feel about ourselves. So when I was a kid, I was super tiny, very skinny, very scrawny. I graduated in 2004, was 18 years old, and I weighed 128 pounds. I'm not a large man right now by any means, but I weigh about, I haven't weighed myself in a few weeks. Let's just go with 190. I'm probably a little heavier than that, but let's say I weigh 190 pounds. So we're talking about moving from 120 to 190. So just picture this studly frame with, what's the math on that? 70 pounds less? Or is that 60? 60 pounds. Math sucks. I never went to college, so give me a break. Um... But adding 60 pounds of relatively like healthy mass can be life-changing, not just because of you are a bigger individual, but how people see you, especially as a man. And it's different for women. It's a different, it's, it's not, it's equal, but it's different. It's a different perspective of like, if you're a really like overweight man or an overweight female, every experience is going to be a little different. And as a 128-pound, 18-year-old kid with peach fuzz on his chin and glasses that made my eyeballs look like they were this big because I'm freaking blind, guys, I am legally blind in my right eye with my glasses on. Contacts are even worse, but if I have glasses on, I go to the DMV and I get an eye test, I fail. I have to go to my eye doctor to get this special waiver and then, you know, thank God I'm still able to drive and not be totally useless. Um, but I was super skinny in high school, and I'd always been really skinny. And when you're a skinny kid, I wasn't bullied too much, mainly because I had a decent sense of humor, and it was a self-deprecating sense of humor, and I could make a lot of people laugh just because I was a goofball. Um, but there were a couple of instances where I had some physical bullying, where I had to lash out, and I've done some stupid stuff. It was like way over the top and uncalled for. Um, but when you're as small as I was, the amount of confidence and self-esteem I had just in my own self was pretty low. I did not feel capable as a man, even though I wasn't a man yet. You know, I was 15, 16, 17 years old. I'm not a man yet per se, but I'm practicing our friends in high school, we are practicing being adults. You don't just turn 18 and all of a sudden you're an adult. You have to start practicing. And if you feel absolutely crappy about your own physical presentation to the world, that will affect how you handle problems and how you handle adversity, if you will. So high school wasn't horrible, but I was always a skinny kid. But a pivotal moment in my very young adult life was I was coming back from Nashville. I can't remember why I was coming back. The details aren't important. But I was getting off the interstate and I saw this guy on the side of the road. He was outside of his car and he's kind of like waving people off. You should never do this. This is stupid. 
Um, but my willingness to help was always there. And sometimes my willingness to help is because I want to feel useful. I want to feel like I have something to contribute. I pull over and I ask this guy what's going on. And he said, hey, I'm out of gas. I don't have a gas can, but we could see this gas station. It was not even a quarter a mile, quarter mile away. And I remember looking at him and we're looking at the car and I said, well, I think we can push it. And he looked at me and he said, there's no way you're not big enough. <laughs> and we remember stupid things like this. And it sounds stupid, but in the same sense, it was at that moment I was like, wow, my people view me as someone who cannot help them. That's how I took it. Was that reality? Was that what he meant? Was that, you know, the intention behind that? Probably not. People say things, just they just say things. But I remember in that moment, I felt like I can't help this guy because I'm too small. I'm not strong enough to push this car to the gas station. But I did tell him, I was like, I think I can push it. I think we can push it. So short ending to the story, we pushed the car to the gas station. He said, thanks, end of story. But that experience resonated with me forever. And that has an impact, especially as a guy. I can only speak from a guy's perspective because... That's what I am. And I feel like for me, I always wanted to feel like I was capable of, you know, handling my own self, helping other people if I could. But the physical presentation that I gave to the world did not convey that message to the rest of the world. And I'm speaking for everyone because I put words into the mouths of every human in the world. That's how sometimes our brains work, especially as a guy who's trying to figure out their worth as an individual in this world. People don't think about it. People do not think about you that much, I can assure you, but we create these illusions in our head. So this was about the time that I wanted to see if I could somehow make some changes, if I could get a little more muscle, if I could get a little stronger, maybe people would see me as a full man, you know, somebody who could help if there was an issue or if there was something that needed to be taken care of, some sort of a physical feat that needed to be accomplished, John could help out. Because at that moment, I didn't think anybody was thinking that. And that was around the time that me and my buddy found P90X. Um, it's like ancient, ancient type of fitness routines at this point. But way back in the day, we found P90X and me and my buddy Ryan, we're going to do this together. It was 90 days. It was 12 weeks-ish, and it had like a diet plan and everything. And before we started, this looked like so much work. At the time, I was working from 5 a.m. to, or sorry, 6 a.m. to 2.30 p.m. I was on day shift at Gibson, um, but I lived like an hour away. I had to leave my house at 5 a.m. to get to work by 6. And in the afternoons, I had little kids, three tiny little kids, Wife was coming home, you know, we're doing family stuff in the afternoon. I knew the only time I was going to be able to do this without catching any flack was before work. So me and my buddy Ryan, we would get up every morning. Most of these workouts were about an hour. If I do remember correctly, maybe it was like every Thursday or every other Thursday, there was like, um, it was almost a 90 minute yoga video. I'm going to go ahead and tell you guys, I didn't do the whole thing. I did about 45 minutes to an hour and then I went to work. I didn't have time for that. Nobody got time for that. 
But after those 90 days went by, I went from about 130 to about 145. And I was eating like eggs and bacon and like eating steak and chicken for lunch and all this stuff. So I was eating a lot of food. So over those 90 days, I ended up packing on almost 15 pounds. I don't think it was quite 15. Um, I didn't really see a whole lot of difference in the mirror myself, but there was a few comments like, wow, you looks like you gained a little bit of weight looking healthy. So as you show, as I showed myself, well, if you do this, 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 and this, and this consistently over this amount of time, you can change the presentation of yourself to the world and the world might notice. And that was my first experience of, you know, making this drastic change in my life, not just the activities that I was doing, but even just basic interactions, you could feel them start to change because people would notice this is a different version of you. You used to be this person and now you're a different person. Now you're talking about working out all the time. And then that progressed into, we were talking about before where Ryan and I did P90X again and it didn't... I don't want to say there's no results, but pretty much we didn't we didn't go anywhere. He lost about 40-some-odd pounds. I gained about 15, and we were basically stuck there. So Ryan found CrossFit. We started doing CrossFit in his garage, and then I went from about 145 to maybe like 160. That's when I noticed. 130 to 145, eh, not much. 145 to 160, I was like looking at pictures, and it's like, wow, that's a – you got some little shoulders there. You got some traps coming in there. So there's some muscle being added to this frame. And again, people started to notice. And now this version of yourself that used to be, you know, walking around this world and doing what you do. Now there's a different version and people are looking at you differently and they're like, there's something different about this person. So all these things that you see, whether it's gaining weight, gaining muscle, bench pressing more, going for a faster run. This is how fitness can mold your mind and make a massive shift in your own mental health. As to where if you're, you know, I'm not a doctor. I'm not going to pretend that I'm a medical expert either. But it seems like a lot of the medical approaches to mental health are very symptomatic based. So I feel this way. So we're going to make some sort of chemical change to simulate you feeling this way and it's just a mask um, that's been my experience looking at other people as well but every time i've ever seen someone take some time and limit their distractions and get to work on themselves with physical action changing the way they eat changing the way they move and doing that over time and then you see progress it gives yourself evidence and then that evidence is the foundation of your confidence because confidence is not affirmations that you yell into the mirror every morning when you're looking at the mirror and saying, I am a good person. I am strong. I have value. You can say all these things over and over and over again. I do think that it can help. And it is part of the experience of getting better, so to speak. But you have to give yourself like physical markers. The number on the scale is not the best thing to reference, in my opinion. I would rather see my body used to be able to barely do this, and now I can do this. Take front squat, for example. It is one of the first levels that we test 
when someone joins the gym at CrossFit Gallatin. We want to determine, one, can someone squat all the way down, hip crease below parallel, and stand all the way up? If they can do that, then we'll add some weight. Maybe we add a box or a bench to make sure they have a target they can hit just so they can feel safe and then come up. If you have someone that's more experienced, maybe they've been working out in the past, and maybe they're still working out now, they're just looking for a different program. The way it works here is that we have to do you know a few sets of eight front squats, and once you max the weight out for that, then we can move to fives and then threes and then one rep maxes after that. You can't just walk into the gym and say, yeah, I can one rep max 225. We throw it on the bar. It looks like hot trash, but you got it up. So we want to walk that up. So if my one rep max front squat for this client, they come in, they're relatively strong. And we have a guy, let's say he front squats 215 pounds. He gets all the way down. He gets all the way up. It looks a little ugly, but when you're going for a true one rep max, sometimes it's not going to be pretty. So if we have a 215 pound front squat, I'd be willing to bet money within four weeks, we can do 225. Mainly because if you just show up and you get the volume of work in, it's so close. It's just 10 more pounds, 10 more pounds, and you can do one more rep. Honestly, he probably could have got it at the first time instead of just stopping at 215 because these markers are so close. So if you have 10 markers where it's like 215 for one, 225 for one, 230 for one, 235, sometimes people don't even notice adding two and a half pound plates to the barbell just because it's so close. But the lines are there. If you can move one line to the next, one line to the next, one line to the next. If you run a seven minute mile, and then time goes on, you haven't been training much, then you run another mile, and it's a 10-minute mile. like, holy crap, I'm out of shape. The reason why you're able to say that is because it's a very hardline-specific number. The weight on the scale, you know, maybe you had a metric butt-ton of salt and bread the day before, and you're retaining a bunch of water weight, and it's kind of an illusion. You know, I can probably cut 10 pounds in a matter of hours if I really wanted to, and this is pretty popular in a lot of sporting events, but all these things contribute to how you mentally approach problems. If someone has never experienced overcoming problems that have very easy ways of measuring success, this is why we have 40 and 50 year old people that have such low confidence. They don't even want to entertain the idea of joining the gym because now they have to show someone else how incapable they are. They don't want to show someone because that will just further prove their own internal point of being unconfident and having low self-esteem. This goes back to me saying that everyone for the rest of their lives, I don't care how old you are, male, female, whatever, everyone needs to lift weights and get their heart rate up at least three times a week, at least three times a week. Maybe that's 30 minutes Maybe that's two hours per session or whatever you want to call it. But everyone needs to do that at their own specific level. Whether you're progressing up to something, whether you're trying to fit into a pair of pants that you were wearing in high school, you need to give yourself evidence that you're capable of making changes. That evidence is not you staring into the mirror talking about how awesome you are or how awesome you're going to be. 
You have to be able to see yourself operating at the absolute capacity, the maximum capacity at this moment. And then months later, weeks later, days later, you can say, wow, that was very difficult. Now it's very easy. And you take that experience, you multiply it over and over and over and over and over again. And then you make this insane amount of progress and you can see that, oh, well, if I do this and this and this, I can solve this problem. When you have confidence in being able to solve problems, problems aren't really problems. They're just dilemmas. They're just things that you have to fix so you can move on. It's kind of like, I feel like a lot of, <laughs> this has been my experience, but it seems like when I know someone who has like constant car problems, like there's always something going on with their car. I think one of the reasons why some, and this happened with me too, my car only broke down when I didn't have money. Something I was explaining to my son, Isaac, where this is just how things would go for me in early life. I would never prepare for an emergency per se. It's like, well, my car's working, you know, just put gas in it, good to go, whatever. But then you don't contribute to that savings account. So over, over time, something like buying tires, you know, for the car that I drive now, it's probably going to be around, I don't know, $1,200 for a new set of tires because I drive a large vehicle with large tires. But also have a buffer, a savings account. So when I need to make a purchase that is large like that, I can just say, well, that kind of sucks that I have to buy tires, but I got the money, boop, you pay it and you're done. This is now not viewed as a problem. It's just a dilemma. Maybe it's an inconvenience. Maybe it's not an exciting purchase. Maybe it is. But if you're someone who has such a low level of base confidence, just simple things like walking into the grocery store and saying, oh my gosh, those people are probably looking at me. I feel like, you know, an absolute whale in this outfit. I'm walking through the aisle and I feel like this person's staring at me because I'm so big. Or the inverse, I'm walking down the aisle and this massive jacked dude is looking at me and he's like, what is this guy? He's just a little weakling. I don't know if this is reality, but these are the things that we say to ourselves in our heads. But if you... If you take these little moments and you add them up over, you know, weeks and months and time, you're giving yourself evidence for being able to solve your own problems. And most of us, you know, maybe we grew up playing sports in high school and we go to college, we're trying to please our professors, whatever. And then we enter the job market. Really, that's probably the last time that we're in a vulnerable position when we're having to, you know, present a good presentation to the world. And sometimes, you know, de depending on the industry, it's not going to matter as much. But what I've found, especially adults in like their 30s and 40s and especially 50s, coming to the gym and being able to tell me and say, hey, I don't like where I'm at and I need to make some sort of change and some sort of fix. Just being able to walk into the door and say that takes a certain amount of confidence. But most people will never do it because they're ashamed and they feel less than. They feel like they're not capable of making those changes. And the reason why they don't feel capable is because they've either they've never done anything that's required that incremental success to build that evidence, or it's just been so long that they they haven't had to, you know, have that vulnerable conversation 
with themselves or with another person. So in terms of mental health, I think the best medicine is some sort of workout routine that requires very measurable loads, distances, you know, levels of intensity. And then as you get better with those things, you need to be able to see yourself getting better. This is one problem with the CrossFit industry is that when you when you go into a gym and there's just here's the workout of the day. And granted, maybe sometimes the weight on the barbell is way too heavy and it's very obvious that this person should not be lifting this weight. But I remember the first time I did Fran, this was right after this was right after that that second uh, wave of P90X. I did Fran, which is a CrossFit workout. It's 21-15-9, um, thrusters and pull-ups. Thrusters is a front squat going into a push press. Squat all the way down, front squat, and then you get the bar above your head. Most of the time, this workout should be done in anywhere from like three to maybe six minutes. That's the window that most people need to operate in. 95 pounds on the barbell was what's required for the workout. And as I'm standing this bar up, I basically had to do singles because I was so tiny, so weak, so unaware of really how to do it the right way anyway. It took me 15 minutes to do this workout, 15 minutes. And looking back on it, I just did this workout less than a year ago. And it was right at like 3.30, I believe. So I'm five times faster then I did it, you know, probably close to eight, nine years ago. So I can be, I can be, I can remember how difficult that workout was at that time in my life. And then I can also remember how difficult it was then, but I moved so much faster and more efficiently. And it just, it was a better experience, one, because it was a faster experience and it was over way earlier. But these are just metrics that we can use for success. Now, if I'd have done that workout in 15 minutes and then two months from then, it would have taken me 13 minutes. Yeah, I got better. But even then, when you go into a CrossFit gym and it's a workout of the day, just because you can do the workout and you can survive the workout doesn't mean that you should because it's going to be this massive ordeal that you're saying, this guy just got this done in three minutes. We're at the 15 minute mark and I've got I've got four pull ups left. The task seems so insurmountable. This is why it's really hard to gain weight and create mass. I've never been overweight. I've never been the person that struggles with being overweight. But I have a bunch of friends. I have quite a few friends, especially at the gym, that have lost well over 100 pounds. And I remember talking to these folks where, yeah, I've lost 50 pounds so far. And I'm just thinking... It must seem so, like the long game is so long for them. They have to be consistent for so long just to kind of get in the ballpark of where they might want to be. But if you can approach it like, I want to lose five pounds this month, and then maybe you end up losing seven or ten or whatever, you have these monstrous differences of the version you are now and the version you want to be that... It just seems like a task that it can't be achieved because it's just it's just too much. It's too much to take to take up on yourself to try to provide some sort of solution for this problem. 
So what you need to do is you need to find these little incremental steps to where you can just staircase your way up over and over and over and over again. It's like it's like 15 flights of stairs, one stair at a time. And when you get to the top, you can look down and say, wow, I climbed all those stairs. <laughs> most, most adults, I feel like they're not doing stuff like that anymore. They're not, be, they're not able to see times where they feel absolutely worthless, but they did the work to get to this new point in their life. And being able to face that requires a certain amount of confidence. And if you don't have it, this is why some people will never change. It's something that I've had to accept over the last, I'd say, year. I've gotten a little bit better. There will be people that will never make changes. And maybe you don't, you're not around certain types of people, but people struggling with addiction. Most of the time, people struggling with addiction are in circles of other people who are struggling in addiction, and then other people who are not are over here. So they're not really, they're not really around. You're not really aware that these people exist. And then when you do meet these people, it's like, eh, well, hopefully, hopefully they can figure it out and make some changes. But I don't know if um, you've experienced this before, but a lot of people never fix it. A lot of people... Um, a lot of people never make it out of that, whether that's addiction or obesity or just really weak and immobile and being incapable as a human being. There's a lot of people who just, they don't even give up. It's just subconscious in the back of their mind. They're just not going to address it. And it sucks. It makes me feel bad for these people because I know that they could feel so much better if they gave themselves an opportunity to put some sort of work in where they can see the evidence of change, where they can see the evidence of progress. And this is, this is why I wanted to do this for a living, because I remember seeing my own change, I, and I remember seeing the old version of myself. And some people, some friends that I have back in that time, they might still view me as that person, and I'm not that person. They can choose to hold that over my head if they want to. Um, this is a weird tangent to go down. I don't know if this is an accurate thing. It's just more of an example to where you have to be able to show yourself little changes that you made over time so you can have the confidence to basically encounter anything and, and overcome, if you will. And I would just hope that if you're in that place where you don't feel like you know where to start or you know what you should do, or you don't know who you should talk to about it. There's coaches all over the place. Obviously, that's what I do. And I we can talk definitely if you want to talk more about that. You can find me where you need to find me. But all you need is to be able to look back and say, I did this, this, and this, and this happened, and I did that. I'm the reason I'm in this position now because I fixed this and this and this. Now I have a $5,000 emergency fund where if something crazy happens, it's unpredictable. There's no stress of having to figure out what I'm going to do. I don't have to figure out what I'm going to do. Because if I have to replace a rear wheel hub bearing on somebody's car because they neglected to fix it when it was a minor problem, if I so choose to, I can say, yeah, we'll fix it. We'll get it going. 
But from my personal experience, now that I have that $5,000 emergency fund, stuff just doesn't happen. And I don't know how the universe works like that, but maybe it's coincidence. I'm not really sure. But confidence is not from just talking about it. You have to give yourself evidence. And I think the weight room, CrossFit gym, that is the best place. The reason why is you cannot buy it. You can't rub elbows with your favorite councilman and get more fitness and kind of bribe your way into it. I think it's one of the last things in the world where you have to earn it. You have to do the work. You can't buy it. You can't steal it. And once you acquire it, you have to continue to work to keep it. It's like paying rent. You'll never have a mortgage on this body. You pay rent. You just have, you just have to. And the, the status of that body goes up and down, up and down, depending on what you're doing with it. But this is the last, this is the last thing on earth where you can't, you know, go viral and get fit. You can't buy it. You can't spend a whole bunch of money to a personal trainer and just expect this transaction of, you know, U.S. dollars or whatever currency you're using to give you this result. You have to show up and do it. And when you do and you see those results, you're like, oh, I did that. That's pretty cool. So anyway, thanks for hanging out today. We got a whole plethora of other subjects we might get into. If you have any questions, excuse me, if you have any questions or considerations or ideas of things you would like me to talk about, by all means, put them in the comments or email me, whatever it is. You can find me on Instagram at who is John Harris, or you can email me at John Harris at CrossFit Gallatin dot com. No H and John J O N H A R R I S at CrossFit Gallatin dot com. It was good talking to you. Conditions may vary. It's going to be different from you to me to anybody else. And it really doesn't matter. It's up to you to figure out how you can get out of whatever you're in. So good luck.